0: The scripture lesson for this Lord's Day is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there, while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He began to teach them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, listen. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said that anyone with ears to hear, listen. When he was alone, those who were around him, along with the 12, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything comes in parables in order that they may indeed look, but not perceive, and may indeed listen, but not understand. So that they may not turn again and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown, where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root and endure only for a while. Then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire of other things come in and choke the word, and it yields nothing. And these are the words then sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it, and bear fruit thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. He said to them, is the lamp brought in to put, to be put under the bushel basket or under the bed and not on the lampstand? For there is nothing hidden except to be disclosed, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Let anyone with ears to hear listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given to you. For to those who have, more will be given. from those who have nothing even what they have will be taken away. He also said the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and write and rise night and day and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how the earth produces of itself first the stalk then the head then the full grain in the head but when the grain is ripe at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Ken. And let us pray. We're grateful, Holy God, for these moments of grace and warmth, these moments where we're reminded of your word to us, your word of love and truth, your word of invitation calling us back again and again. We pray, Lord, that through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, you'll speak to each one of us through these words I'm about to offer, that the focus will be, O oh Lord, on you and, and on your word and what it is you would have each one of us hear. And we pray this with gratitude and anticipation in Jesus' precious name, amen. My first call out of seminary was serving at a large and active Presbyterian church in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's where, for me, my journey as an ordained minister began. And while there, I got to know and love a family that owned an old-fashioned mom-and-pop hardware store in the nearby town of Matthews, Renfro's Hardware and General Merchandise. Their motto was serving home, industry, and farm since 1900. If you wanted fresh-grown garden produce, baby chicks, a blade sharpened, a hard-to-find tool, or help solving an unusual home hardware need, they were your go-to place. And one of the parts of that store that I most enjoyed, a store so steeped in history and oozing with the charm of a simpler time was the seed counter. For farmers or suburban homeowners or anyone wanting to grow tomatoes or squash or green beans or anything else, they had what you needed. Any seed you wanted, along with very wise coaching and guidance to grow the garden of your dreams, they had it that you might prepare the soil and scatter the seed and water it and care for it and harvest a bountiful crop. Now, few if any of us here this morning are farmers. Although it says Garden State on our car license plates, we do not live in an agrarian community. Hearing myself say that, I know a couple of you are exceptions to that. (laughs) Yet the notion of planting the seed and tending the soil and reaping what we sow is a powerful metaphor for a well-lived life. And in particular, for what a vibrant life of faith looks like. And what I wonder is, how is your soil doing? How is your garden growing? And are you enjoying the harvest, the crop that you yearn for and that for your life God yearns for? Now, The Gospel according to Mark is the most fast-paced of all the Gospels. The opening three chapters are filled with healings, exorcisms, uh, preaching. Grace-filled encounters with all kinds of people. And it comes at us fast, about as fast as the telephone poles do as you're driving down the road one after another and another. And then we arrive at Mark 4. The narrative pace slows considerably. The quick action sequences of the previous chapters give way to, to room to reflect on what has happened. And in the setting of their quiet agrarian world, Jesus invites us to stop scanning the surface from afar and instead go up close with him to observe how a seed sprouts and grows. And Jesus tells three parables on the theme of seeds of all things. The parable of four soils, the story of a farmer who is not careful at all in the way he scatters his seed, for much of it ends up where it cannot grow and flourish. Followed by the parable of the seed growing, a reminder that God is at work creating and growing, even when we are not, even when we are resting or sleeping, even when what is bringing about the growth is a mystery to us in the parable of the mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, a tiny seed that grows one of the largest plants on all the earth. Jesus' chosen metaphor for God's reign is seed. Why in the world does he compare God's glorious kingdom among the most central and significant themes in all the world in all of scripture to small and seemingly insignificant seeds seeds that birds consume sun scorches and thorns choke and suppress now i'm not a farmer i'm a suburban guy But I know enough to know that a seed is small and frail. You can buy hundreds of them for just a few dollars. Yet given a chance, given some water and sunlight and just a little bit of soil, seed has the the power to crack open the hard earth, displace stones, and fill empty space with lush, fragrant Life. A seed is tiny, yet it contains the entire genetic package to produce a magnificent living organism. The force of life in a single seed is immeasurable, though at the same time, it's hidden. Its growth is painstakingly slow, barely perceptible, yet sure enough, in good soil, it grows. The paradoxical nature of the seed is a perfect analogy to the mystery of God's kingdom. One of the most significant realities in all the world, yet if you don't look for it, if you don't pay attention for it, you'll miss it. And Jesus himself could be viewed as a seed a child born to a young girl out of wedlock, a lowly carpenter's son, a native to an unimpressive hill country, humble, modest by the world's standards, not all that much to write home about, yet one who performs wonders and miracles, one who disrupts the status quo and changes the trajectory of history in every life he touches. The parables in Mark chapter 4 point to the truth of God's mystery and God's love revealed in the person of Jesus. They also expose the truth about our readiness or all too often our lack of readiness to welcome the seed that gives new life to the world. How often we well-intended followers of Christ spend our days tending others' gardens. We assess the readiness of their soil. We pass judgment on their failure to yield an abundant crop. We are quick to offer unrequested guidance and coaching. We can become so busy focusing on or even caring for others. And God, of course, calls us to do that. But we can become so focused on that that we can forget, at times, to kneel down and examine how our soil is actually doing. Amidst the busyness and noise and rush of our lives, do you ever get around to that, to ask questions like, who is Jesus to me? Is the soil of my life receptive to the seeds he wants to plant and the fruit he wants to bear in me? Jesus embodies and demonstrates God's reign over all the world. The seeds of God's message are sown. Will we let them germinate deep within us, even as they disturb the soil of our lives? Will we hear his word? Will we heed it? Will we let it take strong root in us, let it grow, and take over our entire being. I'm inspired by my memories of Renfro's hardware and general merchandise. I did some research this week on how to help make garden grow. What I discovered provides excellent guidance for actual gardens, and spring is just around the corner, as well as for the growth and flourishing of our spiritual lives. Here are some of the highlights of what I found. Number one. To make a garden grow, choose the right location. Choose a location for the garden that has plenty of sun, ample space, and close proximity to your hose or water source. Find a level area to help prevent erosion. Friends, are you spending time in locations that nurture your relationship with God, that deepen your prayer life, your faith, your sense of God's presence. For the light you are exposed to, the water you receive makes a world of difference. And so choose the right location. Number two, select your veggies. Decide what produce to include based on your climate, space, tastes, and level of expertise. What is the specific crop that God wants to use you to produce? A wild flower seed will only produce wild flowers, not a cucumber. What crop, what harvest is God wanting to cultivate in your life? Focus on that, give your care and attention to that and don't worry about let go of the countless other possibilities. Number three, prepare the soil. Mix compost and natural fertilizers into your garden to condition the soil for your plants. Betsy, I'm going to remember this in a few months. I think of the letters of welcome that we send out each spring to new church members, to new church officers. We say to them, the officers of the church are its leaders. Churches are only as effective As the leaders who guide them, congregations seldom rise above the commitment and competence of its leaders. So I wonder, what is the condition of your soil? Are you caring for yourself? Are you receiving the rest, nurture, and nutrients that you need that you might bring forth a healthy crop? Number four, and I love this one, check planting dates. The, the timing matters. Growing conditions and ripening cycles are different depending on the plant and the season, so you should not sow all the seeds at the same time. I've learned that it's the wise person who knows what season in their life it is. As the writer of Ecclesiastes reminds us, there's a time for everything under heaven. A time to plant, a time to pull up what is planted, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to be born, a time to die. Prayerfully consider what season you are in, what chapter or cycle you are in at this present sacred moment. Number five, plant the seeds. Place your seeds or plants into the soil, following the depth and spacing directions carefully. Sometimes in a conversation with a friend or family member or co-worker, I'll say, I I just want to plant a seed. And I'll suggest some idea or perspective that has not yet be considered. I know many of you do that. Wonder if we're open to other people when they share some Perspective we hadn't thought of. But more importantly, are we open to the seeds that God wants to plant? Are we open to the new life, the new beginnings, the new possibility, the new perspective that God brings? And how to successfully grow a garden? Number six, add water. Gently spray the garden with water to keep the soil evenly moist throughout the growing season. I think of a 12-day rafting trip I went on with friends some years ago down the Colorado River, one of the most memorable trips of my life, and how each day the guides reminded us to stay hydrated. They would say, if you have a headache, drink water. If you are tired or dizzy, drink water. Your survival depends on it. Finishing this trip intact depends on it. If you are feeling thirsty, you have already waited longer than you should have. We could spend the whole morning pondering on the spiritual depth of that statement. If you're feeling thirsty, you've already probably waited longer than you should have. When we are dry and parched, we are not much use to anyone including ourselves i think of the encounter that jesus has with the woman at the well and how he calls us also to drink of that living water that he provides don't wait until you're already tired or or dizzy or thirsty to make a garden grow number seven keep the weeds out i have never been a fan of weeding. It is tedious and difficult work. It is a hassle. And even once it has been carefully done, the next day new weeds seem to always appear. Yet in growing a garden or growing one's faith, weeding is essential. How are you doing removing from your life that which threatens to do harm? to your life. Number eight, and there are just two more left. Fertilize as needed. Lightly till the soil by hand and add fertilizer to keep it rich. You can purchase prepared garden fertilizer, or make your own from things like eggshells, fish tank water, or kitchen compost. So I wonder what are the practices? Who are the people? that will help your garden grow, that will nourish and strengthen you. Even the best soil does better and reaps a more robust crop. It is more likely to thrive when fertilizer is used. And finally, to make a garden grow, reap what you sow. Future consequences are often shaped by present actions. If a student shows up each day and does their homework, they will more likely pass that class. If a marriage or friendship is nurtured and invested in, it it will more likely grow deeper and stronger over time. The Apostle Paul says that a man or woman reaps what they sow. He says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Friends, how does your garden grow? Have you knelt down lately and really looked at how your soil is doing? What is God nurturing and raising up and growing? within you, our God who is filled with mystery and grace, and with that which we do not expect. What seed might God be wanting to plant in your life, and what seed may God have already planted? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.